we go hey uh god strengthening his children god strengthening his children coming from isaiah the 10th chapter that's the main verse fear thou not for i am with thee be not dismayed for i am thy god i will strengthen thee yes i will help thee yes i will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Uh, it says, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue fail it for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, will, I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open up rivers in the high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water in the dry places, and the dry land springs of water. I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shittim tree, and the myrtle, and the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir trees and the pine and the box tree together, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the land of the Lord had done this and the Holy One of Israel had created it. I think this is about God as it says, strengthen his, his people. And as we see the calamities and things that are unfolding around us, that he's going to strengthen the inward man. He's going to strengthen us spiritually. But this will be seen physically. The whole world will see this strengthening physically. This will come about as the world would see that God's bringing about in this day and time the establishment of the kingdom of God, of the will of God, that God's work is being done. If you can completely read that chapter, and you'll see where his people are those strong threshing instruments. And we are the thread those that come up against us. We shred them to pieces. Uh, I don't know, I wasn't thinking about that in an incident that just happened a few minutes ago over at my sister's house. But we have to stand and be bold in the proclamation of God's word and what he's giving us, but it's going to tear others down. It's going to tear the evil doers down, and those that worship idols and things of idolatry and things, they'll be brought to naught. But to do this, we must actually do the work, or we must help establish the kingdom of God. And as he says, he's going to strengthen us, using the right hand as a symbol of power, of authority. That's, that's a sign of authority, to sit at his right hand. Uh, Jesus quoted David it's in the book of Psalms sit thou at thine right hand while I make thine enemies thine footstool the right hand is a position of power and of authority and by him strengthen us with his right hand it shows the power and the zeal of God's spirit taking effect if we read Isaiah the fourth chapter and the second verse it says in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. In other words, the remnant that comes out, those of us that survive this, because there will be some that won't survive or make it through some of God's people that, that wasn't battle ready or God hadn't purposed them to, to finish, this, finish this journey as this fight looms because this is the coming of the day of the Lord at this time, the times of the Gentiles. And we know that throughout the Old Testament, he talked about the times of the Gentiles and bringing Gentiles in and that the Old Testament, the choosing of Israel was just types and shadows. It says, In that day the branch of the Lord will be splendid and glorious and the fruit of the land will be excellent and lovely to those of Israel who have survived. That's how it reads in the Amplified. Uh, I think you'll, reading the Amplified and the Living, you'll see by him saying that he was going to plant those trees in the wilderness and the produce and what's for being produced or whatever. A lot of people will see it, but they won't enjoy it or whatever because they'll be passing away at that time because these idolaters and the people that worship idols and battling against us. And like I said, we see a national battle coming about where the two seeds are battling and God's in the midst of that battle. And we'll know 
that this is the Lord's doing and he's going to bring the others to naught, to nothingness. In other words, a lot of them will be vanquished and, and brought to nothing. They'll be put as enemies under your feet as you read the first part of that chapter. It says you will possess the gate of your enemy. You will possess the entering in or coming down. So I said, are we wrestling or are we striving now to to take the place that God had given us? If, if, if not, if he's not energizing us that way, if we're not being strengthened spiritually and maybe physically also to walk in the blessings, to walk in the promises of God, that's a walk of faith. That's strengthening by faith his righteous spirit coming into his people. I, I'll read the, also the living version of that same verse. It says, Those whose names are written down to escape the destruction of Jerusalem will be washed and rinsed of all their moral filth by the horrors and the fire. Through the judgments and through all that's coming, by we taking heed to his word, being duels of his word, it's going to burn away all of the, 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 the spots and the blemishes by taking heed to the word whereas it was weak through the flesh by way of law, by way of him choosing Israel in that way, we see where the bride of Christ is making herself ready. In other words, she's preparing herself for the wedding day by pulling off the old man, dying to self-resentment, bitterness, evil, envy, all of the works of the flesh. Those things has to be burned by fire. We're going to go through trial and tribulation and through suffering but <clears throat> we'll overcome if we're in the Lord through Christ Jesus by the blood of the Lamb we're made overcomers the branch mentioned here is a frequent symbol of Jesus Christ of those that are in Christ we, we use the branch and vine analogy, analogy that we are the he's divine and we're the branches and that if we abide in him but he says some of them will be prone to cut off because there are some that are disobedient to the faith. They're disobedient to the word of God. They're not abiding in the word and they're not doers of God's word. Those will be cut off and cast into the fire. That's why I say those that are lone wolves that lead the church, that lead the flock and not standing according to the word of God Normally, the wolf or the lion gets that one that's single out from the flock. You don't want to be the one that's left behind or the one that's strayed away from the flock. You, you, the church, the, the assembly of God helps you to be strong. We have to exhort one another and strengthen one another. Uh, who is, we're the part of the God family. Who is of the God family, but also. We are the fruit of the earth, meaning he is both God-like and humankind. In other words, we're, he was made like unto us. In other words, by being born of woman, but he was also God. In the, the spirit had given birth. He didn't have an earthly father. But by sharing the humanity through the woman, he's the seed of the woman. But by him being the son of God and overcoming as a man, he was able to pass that along to us that are born again, are born of the spirit, are born through the word of God. In other words, chosen by grace. In other words, by grace are we saved and by faith, a walk of faith, this walk of faith that we grow in the grace and knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ and overcome. So we're the fruit that we corner of wheat that died and fell in the ground that he had brought forth for us, those that believe on him through through the word, through the word of God. Uh, notice that only those chosen and rescued by God benefits from the enhanced production of the fruit. The things that are coming up on the world, that's why I say don't allow people to walk into your walk in your blessings and give away the blessings of God that he had provided you when you was talking about you see that that truck could become an idol or some things could be, become an idol was you, you realize now that if God had blessed you with that vehicle that don't mean you bless everybody else with that vehicle you don't bless the world if God had given you the benefit of finances 
you have to learn to spend your finances wisely, but you don't call a party and just give your money away to everybody that come along. You have to know how to be a wise steward of the finances of God. A lot of people give it to the healers and give it away. Sooner or later, you become as they are because you have to be wise stewards of anything God had given you, and you know how to have to learn how to manage it. So a lot of times trying to help our friends or help our sons and daughters or our parents or somebody, sometimes some things are withering away. There's a duty to it, but there's also an obligation to God to save yourself. So we have to be wise and ask God for wisdom in everything we do and all of our efforts, you know. We don't just give people money because they said we're Christian and can you give unto us for that that doesn't save you it has to be motivated through God because it says there's going to be some say well did we feed the needy and did we heal okay those works don't save you no matter what type of works you said you didn't know Jesus Christ to know Jesus Christ then he'll give you knowledge who to give to and what to do but works themselves don't save you. You're saved by the grace of God. Isaiah 11 and 1 explains the branch more fully. It says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. As we're closing a lot of times in our doxology, I say what we say to one, we say to all. So what applied to Christ we take that and make it applicable unto us. In other words, the works that he did, what he did, he wants us to imitate him, to walk as he walked, to live as he walked. God loves us with that same love. So it is Christ in us living his life through us. We sitting in heavenly places, if we're dead to self, then it's Christ that doeth the works. That's why we have to be led by the Spirit of God. So now, if our body is no longer our body, we present our body to God each morning, according to Romans, the 12th chapter, for a second verse, it says, present your body unto God as a living sacrifice. It says, lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me. A body is what God desired. He wants your body. That, that's what you give unto God. And that's what he uses. The branch descends from the line of Jesse, the father of David. So if we're proceeding through that line, it all comes through Abraham because we're children of the faith. Through that Davidic line would be the human heirs, those that would inherit the earth through the Davidic covenant, a messianic covenant that we would rule and reign with Christ in the millennial reign that we would help judge the earth. Jeremiah uh, 23rd chapter in the 5th verse and the 33rd chapter in the 15th verse also refers to this branch of the Davidic lineage. And here's where the righteousness applies. Remember I tell you, he strengthens us through the, his righteous right hand. Well, we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We've had put on Christ. That's where justification comes in. He places us in right standing with us. We've been justified. So we inherit the blessings. His righteousness is imputed unto us. I'll talk more about that Wednesday. But imputation is something that it's accounting, it's accounted to us for righteousness. He imputed righteousness to Abraham, the righteousness of faith, because why? He believed God. When he believed God and trusted God, that was imputed unto him, the righteousness of Christ. That's what's imputed unto us, that by faith we have gotten it. So now he's given us his righteousness. We no longer try to do things in our righteousness. It's his righteousness. It has to be the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because our righteousness is as filthy rags. We don't have a righteousness. We can't have a righteousness 
He's the only one that's righteous and just. So we have to be covered by the blood. We have to be in Christ. That's why it says we have to put on Christ. He robes us in His righteousness. Uh, Jeremiah 23 and 5 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise up a, a, unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. And that's what I said. I said the justice of God is admitted out in the earth. But if we die and the others are trying to live under the law or whatever, that day and time of judgment falls on them, but it doesn't fall on us because we are judging ourselves each and every day in Christ Jesus. He says if we would judge ourselves, that's why we take up the partake of the table, because we are no longer worthy that we are in Christ and we judge ourselves as insignificant. We're insignificant in that he lives in us and that the things that we do, we do under Christ because we're sitting in heavenly places. So we're trying to please him. We're led by the spirit of Christ. And he that is in Christ, he lives forever. So if we're in Christ and we abide in him and his word abide in us, we'll dwell with him. We're part of that offspring. We're children of God. And we follow God. Jeremiah 33 chapter in the 15th verse says, In those days and at that time I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. So therefore we go about to help what? Establish the laws of God. According to Romans, through faith we help establish the laws. We're not lawbreakers. We go about speaking the word of God, which is characterized by the law. That's what righteousness is. All of his commandments is righteous. And any time we transgress those laws, we are lawbreakers. We are transgressors of God. So as seeds of God, as, as people of God, we go around preaching and teaching the gospel and making disciples. That, that's our mission. That's our whole purpose. It's a missionary purpose, making disciples, but we also have to live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Yes. That's our life. We, we're no longer existing. As John says, he's increasing and we're decreasing. But what, we're, what does that do when we are born again, when we placed in Christ? It gives us a hunger to seek after God we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness because that's our food. That's our strength. That's how we are strengthened. He, that's the food that they know not of. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So if we would open our mouths, if we are hungry and we thirsty, I told you the other day, he that it is thirst, he says, let him come unto me and drink. Read again this 41st, 41st chapter. It says, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue fell it for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them, and the God of Israel, and, for, and not forsake them. I will open up rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys, and I will make the wilderness a pool of water, and the dry land spring forth water. Out of our bellies, we're supposed to be the ones that's bringing forth the word of God. He says, out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water. So we're to water just like the woman of the well. He says, if I give you this water, you'll never thirst again. We're to share that water. We're to share God's word with everybody. We're to go around. He that is thirst, we're to give out this word freely. So there's a famine in the land of not hearing the word of God. But we servants of God, we give that cold drink of water. That's what strengthens, that's the needed supply is God's word. That's what's continually should come out of us because God give it to us because we pray to God, give us this day our daily bread, supply our needs. That's the water and the thirst that is supplied by God. 
All we have to do, he says, when they cry to him. That's why he designed prayer. How many times did you just come here today paddling down that street in your, in your wheelchair, thirsting to come hear something to strengthen you, laying upon it? And this why I say, you're going to Bible study, honey? Says, yes, I'm coming. Why? Because that word is our necessary food. That's our water. That's our bread. That's what strengthens us. That's our life is the word of God. And he promises to supply that. He gives us understanding by that, and we become the righteousness of God. But we must give out that bread. When we receive it, we must give it to others. He had planted us as trees, as trees of, trees of righteousness that we would go forth and produce fruit. Now, every other tree that the Heavenly Father had planted, the axe is being laid at the root of those trees. But we should bring forth fruit into our old age. It should be better fruit and sweeter and stronger fruit, more temperate and patient fruit as we grow older. We should mellow with age. It's like good wine. As, as it ages more, it becomes better. We should be getting better as we get old. We should be able to teach better. To teach our children and grandchildren. That's where this generation is losing it. They're not listening to the elders. We're not listening to the elders of the church. The young women are not getting the the, the older women to teach them and supply them. To keep them. We are appealing to other things other than God. And there is no answer outside of God. That's why he says the way I'm going Strengthen you is through my right hand of power in righteousness. It has to be in Christ Jesus because the world has been shaped in form and iniquity and in Satan's image. We have to come out of the world to gain that strength in Christ, in God. The branch of God's planting. We are those branches, I said. Romans 11, chapter 17, verse. Romans 11, chapter. Because you remember I say he was talking about planting these trees. Some of these cedar trees. Cedar trees grow up very tall and strong. And they talk about the cedars of Lebanon. But there be some that's not like that. It says the shitter tree, S-H-I-T-T-A-H. And the myrtle tree. I, you know, you don't see there's a lot of myrtle trees around here. My mother, I remember trying to trim up crepe myrtles. And it's a certain way you have to trim crepe myrtles. And she told me, I ever come around and put with a tree to get away. I really cut them back at the wrong time, and it was time for the blossom. But it also says the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box tree. All of these variations, and that's what when we have all of the nations there's different people in different nations that are different just as these trees that God had planted, he had planted every nation, all of the nations should be, shall be planted by God, we see that he's lost none, but it's a variation of nations, it's not one nation it's not just the Jews, there's neither Jew or Gentile, we're all in Christ Jesus, those of us he had planted but we're not all the same these different trees, there'll be differences of people. It's good, you know, in, in our neighborhood, there's a lot of Hispanics that are buying a lot of the homes and things or whatever, and you look into the neighborhood, and it's becoming mixed communities. You have Asians, you have India, people from India, uh, uh, different places in the Far East or whatever. Uh, a, a lot of the nationalities, the, the mixed mixture is coming. The nations are becoming a mix. It's like America should have been, supposed to have been a boiling pot. And those that are identifying by race or nationality, those that are causing those type of divisions, you'll notice that God's people are looking at all people as the same. They're blurring those racial lines or those national lines because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why he says there's no Jew or Gentile. He says, listen to this, he says, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the Jews have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from 
who were branches from, we might say, a wild olive tree. The olive tree, we see where that's an oil tree, an olive tree. That's what you get olive oil and stuff out of that. He said, but you Gentiles who were a wild olive tree were grafted in. So now you too receive the blessing God has promised to Abraham and his children, sharing in God's rich nourishment of his own special olive tree. In other words, he broke some of the unbelieving Jews off to graft the Gentiles in. So we have to be careful because we can be broken off too if we're not we're not native to the tree and God graft us in. If we're just like those natural branches was, but that were disobedient. So the water, the rock that we drink from, the water that he's giving, the it's the same rock that followed them in the wilderness. That rock was Christ. We have to speak to that rock. That's one of the reasons Moses didn't go in the promised land because it's not physical. It doesn't come from... We don't receive water and nourishment from God by physical means. Of, it says heaven is taken by force or the kingdom of heaven is taken by force or by the violent. No, it says when you cry out and speak to God, when you cry out in a dry land and speak to God, he freely gives you the water to drink. He freely gives you nourishment. So Moses violated that because God said speak to the rock and what Moses smote the rock and said because you you rebel against what I say. See we have to do these things as God said where if he just spoke to the rock God allowed water to come out when Moses broke it that way but we're to speak to the rock if we speak Christ is going to give us of his word. If we hunger and thirst for his word we shall be filled. We shall be fed. We have to seek after it. Just as Isaiah prophesied long before in Isaiah the 60th chapter, the 21st verse, he says, All your people will be good. They will possess their land forever, for I will plant them there with my own hands. This will bring me glory. That's the living Bible. Remember I says he's going to plant you. He's going to bring the scattered people that he has scattered all abroad. And so whatever land, wherever places you are, God has... That's why he says Abraham was going to inherit the earth and his seed would be as the multitude of the sea, as the sand of the sea. So all nations where God people are, which would be the whole earth, that's the mountain of the Lord. He's planting his people. That's going to be their land. That's your possession. Those that are trusting and believing in him by faith that are born again. Uh, in the uh King James, it says, Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting. And there again, he uses the terminology of branch or tree. But he had planted that. That's what I say. Every tree that his father had planted will produce. There's not no there's no sense saying that God is going to plant an unfruitful tree. It's like the tree that Jesus cursed, the fig tree, that it looked like a good tree. It looked like it should have figs on it, but it didn't produce any fruit. That's why I say in your life you should be producing fruit. God had given us fruit, uh, uh, the ability to produce fruit, and that's what he had given us. He says be fruitful and multiply. So we should be working to be fruitful and multiply in our life. So we should be carrying out his word and doing his work. He says, all of the people will be good and they will possess their land. But he says, they shall be righteous. The living Bible says good, but the King James says righteous. The whole earth will be in righteousness. We have to have righteous character. That's his will being done is to reproduce us in the image of Jesus Christ and the likeness which is in righteousness, which is righteous. He is righteous, and all of his children shall be what? Righteous. The evildoers shall pass away. So anything that, that's not like Christ in you has to be burned away, has to be pulled off. The old man has to be pulled off. Isaiah 61 also, 61 and 3 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord had anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He had sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberties to the captives, 
and the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called, what? Trees of righteousness. He's going to take away all of the vices. He says he's going to give you the oil of joy for mourning. Because we had mourned for the nation. We had been mourning for the people. That la- that mourning's going to be turned to laughter and joy. He says uh, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Because we've been bearing some burdens and some different things. But now he's changing our lives. Our lives has been eradicated from the old man. And we under a new mind, a new thinking, under this new covenant. He says, appoint to them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes. So all of our afflictions and all of the transverse and and, uh, different things that have been done to us and through us, this is the day that the whole earth, everything change. It's not just the perspective with which we view this and see this in, but it actually literally changes in our lives become glorious and bountiful and we know that the Lord had did this. We didn't do this ourselves. It says we're planted as trees of righteousness. That's what I say. Different type trees, but they're all of righteousness. God's going to plant us and and what the song said, like a tree, I shall not be moved. Steadfast, immovable in the faith. The planning of the Lord that he might be glorified. God gives, gives, gets glory out of us, bringing forth tr- fruit and praise unto him and being a light. Now the rest of Israel was broken off because of unbelief. So Paul warns the Gentiles in Romans 11 that Israel had became blinded and hardened. Just like I said, a lot of the people of the Christians of the nation has become blinded or hardened and are being cut off because they never was actually converted. But this is the way they would have been if they hadn't tasted of the Lord. In other words, those in the church there's a lot of false apostate church, but we can't follow after them or whatever, and we'll see that they'll believe this strong delusion. That's what Kinzinger is saying, Adam, in this article I told you about. Adam Kinzinger warns Christians of false prophets and in the evangelical group. Because he was talking about Lauren Bobert and a lot of the people that are saying that we will bring this about by the changing of laws and Christian rule. But as Christians come into the government, they become antichrists. Because this is Satan's world government, and those that's coming in at a a strong hand, and you see the Christian right as it comes and galvanizes. This is Babylon we're living in. So this is a false Christianity. This is the other Jesus that's arising. Paul told us about another Jesus. It was 70 to 85% of the evangelicals that got this last president in office. Probably he will come back and win again this time. We, we see that coming as the nation pulls away from the God and becomes an apostate church, becomes an apostate nation. That's why I say, are we seeing this thing? Aren't we seeing this thing before our very eyes? Drawing back from God, they could not form a graft union with Jesus Christ. To this day, you know, the Jews still don't accept Jesus as their Messiah. They don't accept Jesus. Most of the Jews, you you'd not very have a very few Jews that follow Jesus now. This is an awkward bunch. Now, the Judaizers, that, that's a whole different group. Like I said, they still don't believe in Jesus. They still reject Jesus. God did not spare these natural branches, the Israelite, that fell into unbelief and disbelief. So what happens when a nation, just like this nation, their action shows you that they're trapped into unbelief. They've been turned over to a reprobate mind. 
So we have a problem in God. That's why his preaching here is speaking to those that are in the midst. He's talking about a remnant. Only a portion of this nation will survive. Only the remnant will survive and we'll know that the Lord had did this to this nation. As a powerful nation like this fall, and those of us that come out of it, we know the Lord was the only way that this came about. And and keep reading in that 41st chapter, he said, when it comes about, you'll see that I had already spoken this in the beginning. I had spoken it years ago. He had preached it years ago. He had spoken it throughout time. Likewise, He's not, he will not spare us if we fall into this similar disobedience which has came about. That's why those seven churches in Asia that he wrote to in Revelation when he says he was going to come back and fight against the church. Don't you see that we're in that time now? That we, this is what's coming about. I have another article on the Presbyterian church again, that spoke against some of the things that Israel is doing against the Palestinians. And we'll back a lot of times the people of the Christians of this nation back up Israel for anything what they do, but wrong is wrong. You're doing it against the Palestinians or whatever, you're fighting against flesh and blood. That That's a carnal battle, and what they're doing is wrong. Some uh, one, one group of the Presbyterian Church had condemned them for doing this. Paul was clearly familiar with the practice of grafting in I don't know if y'all familiar with grafting, and I told y'all about uh, a couple of fruit trees we had that the root was grafted in onto that fruit tree, <coughs> and it produced vigorous, uh, a good, a good fruit and everything. It lasted a while longer because a lot of trees, the root system is bad. That's why Jesus Christ came in. He laid the foundation. We're built up on Christ. We're grafted into Him. We're in Christ. So if He's the cornerstone, if we build on any other thing, it's going to be washed away. It has to be on Christ. That's why He laid that cornerstone. He laid it up on Himself. We're built up on Him. He's the rock the church is built up on. <clears throat> he uses this beautiful illustration to draw attention to the fact that God had grafted us into the family by a method contrary to nature this is contrary to nature and that's why I said this is something supernatural this is something that causes us to love our enemy this is causes us to bless those who despitefully use us <clears throat> this is something that's supernatural and it's contrary to nature in the natural process of grafting a branch capable of producing fruit is grafted to a rootstock that can improve fruitful vigor and Christ, we're grafted into him. Now this is different from the law because we see through the law it was weak through the flesh. He had chosen Israel as his people. But when somebody chose him, they had... You remember I told you he married Israel. He gave Israel a divorce in Judah since he died. Now they had to come back and accept him by faith because... Now that he's dead, he was able to marry a different one. He married a Gentile bride. He was free to marry a Gentile bride because if he'd have still been alive, he'd have been adulterer because he'd have been married to Judah and he took another bride. So when Christ died, you remember he died on the cross? He actually died. So now he was free to take the Gentiles and anyone else that's what brought it about by faith because remember, Abraham wasn't a Jew. Abraham was a moon worshiper. Abraham was back there. The, the, the word Jew didn't come on come, come into saying to live it later and it only applied to the southern tribes. So this is by faith. So Paul says that we were unfruitful and a wild branch grafted in contrary to our nature. We are the branch of God's planting. And you remember I told you all of us are planted by God. So we're brought about, what's the seed? That, that seed of faith. Faith, we're brought about by the hearing of the word of God. We, that's how we're saved, by the hearing. Faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have to keep reproducing and saying the word of God. Uh, <clears throat> he has stripped away our carnal and sinful bark through our Savior's sacrifice 
and granting of repentance. And that's what I said. The churches today are not teaching repentance. You have to change. You have to turn from what you were doing, admit that you are wrong, and a constant dying to self, to the carnal or to the old man. Romans, uh, the second chapter says, Or do you have no regard for the wealth of his kindness and tolerance and patience in withholding his wrath because we were all sinners, we were all in bad shape? He says, are you unaware or ignorant of the fact that God's kindness leads you to repentance? That is, to change your inner self, your old way of thinking, and seek his way of life and his purpose in life? The kindness of God did that. Are are we unaware that we have to repent? Repentance has to be consistently preached, turning from self and what self was. He don't accept you as you is and for what you are. He changes you. Acts 11, chapter 18, verse. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then God had also granted repentance to the Gentiles. That was Peter talking about what he happened with at the home of Cornelius about the sheep being let down of the, all of the unclean animals and everything. Don't go off on a tangent there and said he was talking about the unclean foods that, that we could eat foods. That, food doesn't commend us to God. The analogy was to say that he had cleansed the Gentiles. You can use it in the physical if you want to. You could eat pork if you want to. You could eat the different things that was under that old covenant. That was just a shadow of things. So food doesn't commend us to God. What goes in a man don't defile the man. It's what comes out of the man. But he was talking about the Gentiles, and that's when he baptized Cornelius and all of his family. But he was talking about the Gentiles been brought in. They were granted repentance. But notice... You have to repent. Second Timothy 2.25 says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, and with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now these are the things we have to start doing. The New Testament is full of actions and things that we should be doing. It's work. Because why? I was talking to my wife last night about her preparations and what we had to do and she said she had gotten out of some of the preparation stuff and her mother and thing was taking it over but do you know that's a lot of work getting ready for a wedding it takes a long time it doesn't have to take a long time but it's necessarily hard work because you want everything perfect the bride wants everything to be right the groom he doesn't do as much he's the worker so Christ had accepted us but he's sitting in there he's doing the works in heavenly places. He's working in us, through us, or whatever. But it says the bride had made herself ready. That's why the marriage analogy. The bride is what makes herself ready. That's why Paul says, I'm working to present you a chaste virgin unto Christ. So that bride is working to get things ready. That's It's always showing preparation here of we being prepared. We preparing ourselves. He says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, patient and amped to teach, and meekness instructing those who oppose themselves. In your marriage, in your things with friends and with people, don't you cease to argue? People get mad. You know, your spouse will get mad if, if she's saying this or you saying that. If you say, all right, okay, you know, and just say, okay, or whatever, you know, and leave it alone. Well, no, and were you being smart about it? Were you cut? I'm just saying, either you're right or I'm right. I'm not, ain't use, okay, it's no use in us arguing over it. If that's the way you say it, it's okay. If it's not, it's not. But it's not going to make that much difference to me. Either you know or you don't know. But I'm not arguing with you, dear. People are talking about they're going to debate about religion. Either you see or don't see, but we're not fit to learn from one another saying what you're saying or whatever. Either I'm going to tell you this or this is the way it is, but you have to be patient and amped to teach. Either you want to hear it or you don't want to hear it. Right? It says, in meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. Because we don't really know how much opposition we are to ourselves 
if we are know-it-alls. But as you grow older, that's why, you know, there's that older people kind of let you talk yourself out or whatever, and they tell you what they're going to have to tell you, won't want to tell you, and they, that's, that's it. They're, but they're not going to argue with you. And it's foolish to sit and argue with anybody. I don't want to get you to see my point. Paul says, be fully persuaded in your own mind. He says, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his own at their own will. Now, uh, I can read this in a different one because I need to get to hurry, hurry up here because i got a ways to go. Uh, let me read this and amplify it. It says, but have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant speculations in other words, useless disputes over unedifying and stupid controversies, since you know that they produce strife and give birth to quarrels. The servant of the Lord must not participate in quarrels, but must be kind to everyone, even temperate, preserving peace, and he must be skilled in teaching, patient, and tolerate when wrong. If you do me wrong, let's just learn to tolerate that and go on because God's going to punish that who did you wrong. Go back and read that. All of those that oppose you, the 41st chapter, it says all of those that oppose you, that are against you, he's going to bring the shame. That he's going to bring them to nothing. All of those that contend with you. So why should I contend with my son or my daughter or my wife or anybody because they just making it hard on themselves before God. The more you provoke them, the, the worse the punishment they will get from God. And now he's going to get you for bringing that punishment upon them, allowing that punishment upon them. So you begin to be of less words and less quarrels in conversation. You avoid some people. You avoid some of your parents. You avoid your children. You avoid friends and things because I'm not about to argue with you and I know what this could turn into. Argument or dispute time to tell. It says he must correct those who are in opposition with courtesy and gentleness and hope that God may grant that they will repent and be led to the knowledge of the truth. In other words the accurately understanding and the welcoming of what's right. But if not, don't go that way but you must be gentle and courteous. And it says and that they may come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil having been held captive by him to his will. Like I said, that just came to bear with my nephew shortly ago, and I just left it alone and said, but it's not that serious, you know, and I'm not going to argue or dispute about this, but hopefully he can see his way. God the Father himself has grafted us in, tightly bound us to his son, the righteous branch, because you remember we said about protection and fear not, he holds us, we're kept, He's going to keep us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. A lot of us may die. A lot of us may suffer harm or whatever. But it doesn't separate us from the love of God. No matter what come, rain or shine, we still hold to Jesus. Suffering shouldn't separate us from God. Affliction, nothing should separate us from that. Through our grafted union, we receive the nourishment of his Holy Spirit. When you're weak, that's when you're strong because he's nourishing you up. He's keeping you up. He's the one that's strengthening you. That's that right hand. That's that right arm of strengthening. Fine linen. You remember it says the fine linen of the saints. The fine linen is of righteousness. And we talk about the dress, the wedding dress. That's the whole thing. That's the center of the marriage thing, the dress. What the bride has on, that garment. It has a parable about that in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, 11 through the 14th verse. It says, And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called. You remember I told you the church is pretty big. There are mega churches and all that. But only a few chosen. You may have a crowd of people, but everybody in there ain't right. Everybody in there is not in Christ. Many called, but a few chosen. 
Now the guests do not enter the wedding hall soon as they get the invitation. Those gathered from the highways would be inappropriately clothed, so time is given to them to clothe themselves in proper attire provided by the king. Uh, see Isaiah 64th chapter and the 6th verse. Zechariah, the third chapter, third through the fourth verse. I'm not going to read those out, but I'll tell you, during those times and weddings and everything, you remember Samson when he went out and killed all those uh, Philistines to get those changes of garments? They provided the clothing that you came in to the wedding. So when the king invited the guests to the wedding, when you were invited, you were given the proper garments to wear to the wedding because of that invitation. So you had time to get dressed and ready. Uh, my son, uh, our weddings, or any, with the wedding or whatever, when the bride chooses the wedding attire or whatever, there the gowns are provided supposedly, but nowadays they're so costly or whatever, everybody buys the gown. The maid of honor, everybody has to buy the gowns and everything. Everybody has to go to this certain place to buy a tuxedo or rent a tuxedo. And you have to wear certain things there. Okay. But this guy, if he was given the invitation, the king had provided these garments. So why didn't he have on a garment? Rebellious, a passive resistor, just like this nation resisted. He wanted his way. He didn't put on the garment that was provided. You remember I said we have to put on Christ? God had provided the garment, the fine linen, the righteousness of Christ. He provided that for us. We should put on Christ. When we go before, that's the only way we're going to be able to stand before God is that He sees His Son. We're going to be just like Christ when He sees us. He's going to see the Son. We're covered by what? The blood. His blood provided a covering for us. It's a perpetuation, it's our covenant. He made atonement for us. That's why we have to do it by the Word of God. The parable suggests not only did the man not have on a wedding garment, but he did so intentionally. I was telling someone today, I said, well, look, you're not only living this lifestyle, but now you're using the Lord's name in vain. You're swearing. God says don't swear. Isn't that a sin? He says that if he died for you, we should be going to church. If you believe in God, why are you forsaking the assembling together of yourself? So you intentionally, if you know this is in God's word, and when I come and say something to you, you quoting scripture, well, you know so much of scripture, why aren't you doing it? you intentionally not living the way God told you to do. Well, this man intentionally wasn't dressed the way he's supposed to be dressed. So he decides against clothing himself properly, even though he knew that this was available. When you go to church on Christmas and Easter, well, if you know that he died for you and that's the resurrection, he was resurrected for you, why you ain't doing what he said do? If you know he was born of a virgin, his virgin was supernatural, and that he's the king of kings and that there's no other like you, why you ain't listening to what he's saying? Why you, you intentionally, you say you believe in Jesus Christ, he says, many call my name Lord, Lord, and do not what I say. Why call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do what I say? If I be your Lord and Master, and I say you should wash each other's foot, why aren't you doing these things? When the man realizes the sin, his sin against the king's order, he's speechless. That's what I say. If I'm actually presented that way, you don't have anything to say. Now you're standing there. If he says, swear or not, why would you say, I swear to God? If he says, don't, uh, this is an abomination, why would you stand there married to a, a, a somebody of the same sex? Huh? If this is an abomination before God, how can you stand in his church if this is his word and his word, the scriptures can't be broken? Why are you doing what he said? Don't do. His this presence at the wedding is a sign of his rebellion against the king's authority and majesty symbolized by the feast. If they believe in the government, why would you have an insurrection of the government on January 6th? If you believe in the democratic system or whatever, why can't you take the results the way it is? If God's the ruler of this nation and God put people in power, doesn't he say, obey those that have authority and rule over you, be subject to the higher powers? Why are you transgressing? It's why there. 
See, that's what that wedding feast, why he says, for him hand and feet into outer darkness. The wedding garment, conspicuous and distinctive, represents a person's righteousness. It represents the righteousness. It symbolized the habit of sincerity, repentance, humility, and obedience. It replaces the street clothes that stand for the habits of pride, rebellion, and sinfulness. We're pulling it off, right? If we own Christ in Christ, what we're we doing? We're putting him on the things of Christ. We're robed in what? His righteousness, because our own righteousness is what? Filter rag. So we can't go into the kingdom of God. If thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we have to work according to his will. And Christ working in what? In us both to will and to do. If we are if we abide. So any tree that's not planted by the Heavenly Father will be chopped down at the root so it won't grow back. Because the kingdom has nothing but righteousness in it. Biblically, beautiful clothing indicates spiritual character developed by submission to God. Revelation 3, 4 through 5, chapter 19, 7 through 9. I'm not going over these for brevity of time because I kind of dwelt on some of the other things too long. Paul exhorts Christians to put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a garment. Romans 13 and 14. Clothing then represents a Christ-covered life and as a result, character consistent with God's way of life. Revelations 19, 7-8 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Notice that, Patricia. They had made herself ready. The five wives and the five foolish. You remember they continued to put oil in their lamps. That was a word necessary. In other words, be continually filled with the Spirit. That's a word. That's action. The bride had made herself ready. It says, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the linen is the righteousness of the saints. The clothing is representative to what? Without a spot without a blemish. That's why I left the fivefold ministry for the edification, for the perfecting of the saints. That's what we're to do, to teach and to teach you to pull off this, pull off these things, preaching and teaching. The fine linen, I said, represents the righteous acts of the saints. Consider that the marriage analogy carries right through the old covenant into the new. But under the new covenant, the church is seen as a bride preparing for the marriage, whereas we see Israel didn't do that under the old covenant. It was the flesh that was weak, and the new covenant we see that the flesh being put to death and that we putting on Christ, that we dying to self. Our preparation is putting on Christ. The church is doing something. It's actually getting ready for this marriage. Whereas in the old covenant, it's like the marriage had taken place. He had chosen them. But now, when he chooses us, the bride has to get ready. So this is perfected that way. That, uh, that's the major difference in the old t- covenant. And it says, uh, it was performed the ritual in Exodus, the 24th chapter, where Christ said he was married to Israel and that that was his wife. And you remember the tribes divided into the northern tribes and the southern tribes, but he was still the marriage and knowledge he stood. So there had to be a divorce and then there had to be a death of the testator. Whereas a testament, there has to be the death of the testator and the death of Christ there, whereas now God is free to marry again, a Gentile bride. When we enter into the new covenant, we are not married yet. You remember the whole analogy comes out that he had chosen us as the bride of Christ, but we all keep look, look, looking forward to what, sister? Brother, anybody? To the marriage supper of the Lamb. To this marriage being consummated. Remember, he had just chosen us. The marriage, the wedding hadn't taken place yet. The marriage is to take place 
we're the bride getting ready. The groom says what? As the analogy, he's coming back. He's coming back for a church that's ready. That's when the marriage is going to be consummated when he comes back. Because that's when we're going to be turned into incorruptible and we're going to go away and live with him forever. Right? So that marriage, that's why a lot of people use that born again analogy or whatever, but it's not quite right to use those words. Because that born again really hadn't actually consummated yet. The marriage hadn't been consummated yet. Remember the groom would go away and prepare a place and then he would come back and receive the bride unto himself. Uh, we are like the bride preparing for the marriage at any other time. When I promised my wife and I got engaged or whatever, she got ready that whole time, but we were married on August the 1st, 1981. So during that whole time of the engagement, she was doing the preparation, but we hadn't been married yet. God has made this change to resolve the weakness of the first covenant, which will be eradicated before the actual ceremony and union take place. Let me explain that to you. Did you, you didn't hear it a while ago. You remember, he was married to Israel. Now we have to go over the whole thing. I'm already out of so it's going to have to be a little bit longer. He was married to Israel. Right? The wedding had taken place. That was his chosen people. So for eternal God, how do you get out of that? He gave Israel a bill of divorcement. He gave Israel a bill of divorcement. He divorced Israel. But with Judah, which was the southern tribe, he died on the cross. Their king died. Their leader died. Their king, God was the king. So their king died. So when he died, they had to get another king. He had to get another leader. The promises was in Christ. He is that promised seed. But since Israel's people are dying, when that new king, the one that's going to sit on David's throne, comes back, when Christ comes, he's free to take a Gentile bride. He's free to take any bride because he's no longer married to Israel. He's divorced Israel and, and Judah. He's died because the, when the bride, when the husband is dead, then the wife is free to marry someone else. So now he's free to marry. So he has a, he's, it's a Gentile bride, but it's by him being the light of the covenant, now Israel, since they were grafted out, anybody could come in, but it's by faith. It's through faith. That's how we inherit the promises. Yes. Yes. You know, are we understanding now? Yes. Because if Christ was married to the church, this is where Hebrews, where it says, it is impossible if you shall fall away to renew it again. So those that come in the church and say they're saved or born again. But then you see some people with that testimony or whatever, they fall out and they're out doing all kinds of other things. And, you know, they leave the church and they're committing fornication or drugs or living an unsaved life. Well, how could that be the bride of Christ? They're not preparing. So that would bind him to an adulterous bride. That would bind him to a bride that has spots and wrinkles that are not preparing itself right. So the consummation of the marriage doesn't take place because we're secured forever in Christ. So when you see people doing that and saying those things, and he says, he that is born of God cannot sin for his seed remaining in him. He does not practice sin. But we do have an advocate with the Father. So if we're children of God, our consistent, our consistent way is preparing for to meet our bridegroom. I told you earlier, I told you earlier that some won't make some won't be here because you remember Enoch they say Enoch was translated a lot of time God would take you out of life before he lets you sin a sin against him that makes you irredeemable you understand what I'm saying sometime to keep you to where you're saved he takes a child out of life he takes a teenager out of life he 
takes a young adult out of the life, he removes the individual because he, you may not could bear under these temptations or these burdens. So not to put you through that, he'll take you away from it because you couldn't persevere. There are others that could persevere and overcome. That's pretty tall cotton. Hopefully you can understand that. And that's give you something to chew on. The spirit will give you the chew on there. Uh, I have uh, four more points in that uh, to cover. I'm going to have to cover that uh, coming up Wednesday. Revelation 19 is the announcement that the bride is now ready and the marriage can take place. But I'll have to finish explaining that Wednesday. I'll tack some more onto this and fit his righteousness. But remember when I say the Lord's going to strengthen us, he's strengthening the inner man. He's working with us. But you remember I say those that he births again, he starts to give you a zeal. He gives you strength. In other words, it's like Mr. Parker. I was telling you a lot of times I see him somewhere. He's 82 years old, but he's out there cutting grass, weed, eating it. He has to do it three, three or four yards a day sometimes. You know, and he's 80 some years old. God has strengthened him. And there's a lot of people that works and it's that age that may not be of God or whatever. The lady that I told you I get the watermelons and things from or whatever, she's 71 years old. She drives a big F-250 truck and she sells hundreds of watermelons a day, picking up on them 20 and 30 pound watermelons, getting in and up off that truck. Whatever. She have a ladder getting in. She's 71 years old. Just like God can strengthen the weak, those things of God. That's why I say when you're weak or you see him infirm, God can strengthen the inner person. That's why they say, don't let the outside fool you. Don't let the physical fool you. The work that you can accomplish, the things that you, through Christ who strengthens you. He strengthens the inner man, but he, that spirit gives the body life to where you can do more. So if you like a day's you're lacking spirit, pray to God, talk to God, ask Him to strengthen you and strengthen the outer man. Amen. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this day.